Welcome to the Pooch Parenting Podcast, a podcast for parents with dogs. I'm Michelle Stern, a certified professional dog trainer, mom, and former teacher. Living with kids and dogs at the same time can feel like a circus. I know because I lived it too. Join us as we interview a variety of experts and parents to discuss topics that will make parenting with dogs easier, safer, and less chaotic. Also, you can love living with your dog again. I'll always keep it real, which might even mean that you hear the messiness of life in the background on occasion, but at least you know you're not alone. Hello, Marie. I am so happy to have you back, even so soon. Hi, Michelle. Yes, I'm so excited to be back. Thank you for having me. I know. Well, I am really excited to follow up on a million of the things that we started to talk about last time when you were here with Connor, but this time we're going to dive specifically into your dog breed, which is the wind sprite. This is a breed that is new to me. I mean, in the past, probably two years since you came across my social media and I immediately had to follow along to see what this magnificent dog was. And that's how I got to know you actually is because I heard about this breed and Connor talked about it all the time. And, um, they're so cute and they're so, they look elegant and delicate, but they're not really because they're so feisty (laughs) and funny and sturdy, even though they look delicate. Um, Uh But, but I, I want to talk about a couple of different things here. So number one, we'll talk a little bit about the breed and how it came about. And then number two, I want to talk about why you believe this breed to be so fantastic in families who have children. And I know you have a child, you have a son, Dexter. Um, So let's just talk about the breed in general and what makes them good family pets. Yeah. Um, wind sprites, I guess we'll, we'll start with what, what is a wind sprite? Like, you know, yes, they are basically domesticated unicorns. (laughs) (laughs) I often describe them as noodle deer fox dogs. Um, or for anyone who watches the TV show Hilda with their kids, um, twig, but no antlers. Um, in all seriousness, um, they are genetically, they'll break down to Whippet and Sheltie. And there is also a little bit of Borzoi snuck in there way back somewhere. Um, for a new breed, so anytime we're starting a new breed, um, what AKC will want for eventual registration is which three breeds is this breed made of, right? And so for the wind sprite, it is um, primarily Whippet and Sheltie with that dash of Borzoi. So what that means is that we get that really, really nice Sighthound off switch which is like my favorite part of these dogs is that if I am doing nothing, they will sleep. There's four dogs behind me right now and they're chewing on stuff. I granted Pokey went into the garbage to steal an empty who knows what bag of whatever. And she's tearing it into a million pieces, (laughs) but she's entertaining herself and she's being quiet about it. (laughs) She's also a puppy. So she's allowed those passes for naughty behavior. Right. But like, but, and then my adults are sleeping and Mirage, who's hopefully pregnant is chewing on a horn because she's hungry, um, all of the time right now, but couldn't possibly be bothered to be eating her dog food. Um, of course, (laughs) but yeah, it's, it's, it's that really, really nice off switch that they get from the sight hound, but then they also have this, like, I call it stickiness, like a dog's, I love to go hiking. I love to do agility. And so it's really helpful when you're doing both of those things to have a dog who is handler oriented or handler focused or sticky. They want to be with you. 
they want to follow you. They have a desire to pay attention to where you're going and what you're doing. And we get that from a lot of our herding breeds. So that comes from the Sheltie. But they don't get so much Sheltie that they're that classic, like trying to herd the the kids all of the time, because I'm not saying mm-hmm. that my dogs have never attempted to herd my child when he's being utter chaos. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but it, it, it gives them a, a bit more, a bit less independence. <laughs> mm-hmm. They care more about your opinions. That's really important. That's, that's really important because we had a dog one time that we rescued from, you know, a local organization and he was a bolter. Like if you open the door and you weren't paying attention, he would be gone. And he had these, he was a kind of dog. We called him a long and low, um, maybe like lab dachshund or something like that. So he had, yeah, low rider. Absolutely. And so, um, he had these stumpy little legs, but boy, could he run when he escaped and mm-hmm. it was crazy. And, and it was just so frustrating to us because we always said, gosh, we just want a dog that wants to be with us. Like, and he loved us. He, he was really good and affectionate and everything when he was with us, but he also, I think the grass was greener on the other side and he had to go explore. And it turns out that he had some scent hound in him. And so I think he was picking up on, and we lived in the hills and there were deer and all kinds of creatures. And so I think he was just doing what he was, you know, bred to do, which was to go follow his nose. Sounds like he was Um, having a great time. Exactly. Um, One of the traits I think of when I think of a Sheltie is a dog Mm -hmm. who barks non-stop because the Shelties that I have met are so loud all the time, but I'm talking to you without barking dogs in the background. Uh-huh. So can you talk to me about, cause that would be my biggest concern with the winds, mm-hmm. right? Is, oh gosh, they have part Shelty. That means they'll never be quiet. I know. I heard Shelty and now all I can think is barking. Um, I know. Well, that's, so talk that's, to me about that. Yeah. It's, that's why it's really nice to have the Whippet in there. Um, cause they don't make noise. Uh, I, my dogs are not always quiet. If someone showed up at my front door that I wasn't expecting, they would bark. Um, I can tell you when every time a new dog moved into our neighborhood during quarantine, because they need to bark the first like two to three times they go by the house. And then they're like, okay, that dog lives here now. That's okay. I don't know at what point they decide that it's not worth alerting over, but at some point it's like, all right, whatever. Mom tells us, thank you when we bark about this one. So we'll stop. Um, mm-hmm. you know, a loud startling noise happens, they'll alert bark, they'll bark when they're playing, but they don't need to bark at every bug fart and just because they felt like testing <laughs> the sound of their own voice, right? Like they don't yeah, need to check right. that their voice box still works. Yeah. Um, there's generally a reason for it. In Shelty's defense, because I know a lot of people who say that Shelties are very barky, and I will admit that I was one of those people, but as someone who was looking for a Sheltie stud for back cross litter, um, Shelties don't bark for no reason at all. They generally always have a reason. And the Shelties that you meet out in public are usually really excited because they're at an event. And when they're Ah. hyped and excited, they tend to vocalize because it's one of the ways that they move livestock. So Mm. that Mm -hmm. being said at home, you know, not that they won't ever bark, but again, it's usually they have a reason, but the pitch of the bark can be very high which can be upsetting for some people. We were just mm-hmm. talking, as Aura will now demonstrate for us, Yes, when she you. talks, you can hear the Sheltie because yeah. that is that is not really <laughs> what whippets sound like when they bark. <laughs> right, yeah. Your Sheltie's showing. We didn't need a demo. <laughs> I know. I'm on Zoom and she's not in my lap. 
Yes. Well, she can join your lap at any time. I, I well, you see, when she was her. pregnant with her litter and I was doing her puppy interviews, I had to go pick her up. And so now she's still in that routine. And so embarrassingly, as I am wrapped around my dog's dew claw, I'm going to go pick her up like the baby she is. Go for it. You can pick her up. I have I'm no going to because otherwise we're going to listen to her squeak for the next, you know, hour or so. Well, the listeners of my podcast are very familiar with dogs who squeak during interviews because sometimes Pippin does the same thing where Pippin wants to be part of things. Hi, uh-huh. pretty girl. So let's, now that you have her in your lap, now is a good time to talk to our listeners who aren't seeing you about the size of this dog. So they are delicate like a whippet and slender and beautiful like a borzoi. They have, they have a coat that reminds me of a borzoi, right? So they're not short haired, but they're also not like super long haired either. What do you call that kind of a coat? It's beautiful. Um, it's very silky. Um, but there it's, it's a long hair, but it's, I, I, this is why I call them domestic unicorns. It's a very yeah. soft and silky coat. Cause they don't have a very thick undercoat. It's not quite hair. Cause you know, they do, they do shed and mm-hmm. I'm wearing a black shirt. I don't know. Yeah. It does have white freckles on it though. On yeah. Earth. I'm covered in hair. It's just a little difficult to see because I have four dogs. I don't want to right. alarm listeners. There's four right. of them here. So yeah, I, of, of course. course I'm covered in hair and I don't yeah. know what to tell you. Um, but no, so she's she's 20 pounds, which is not heavy. She's on the smaller side. Um, the females, I think, tend to be smaller than males, as is for, for most breeds. But they, they're they what I call um, origami dogs. They kind of fold for storage because they're mostly legs. <laughs> so they can like donut up and then become just the mass of their body and kind of tuck all the legs away for storage. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's really interesting that they're only 20 pounds because Pippin, my border terrier, is about 18 pounds, but he is just a stout little brick. Like he's solid muscle. He's very compact. He is solid muscle. And just like you said, your dogs have these slender bodies and very long, graceful legs. And they're very narrow. Very narrow. I'm thinking about narrow, like the the spaces that they could fit between are, are very, they're like they're almost like, you know, you turn them sideways and they almost disappear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause they yeah. are narrow dogs. Um, but they're still lovely to cuddle because I know you go to pet them and sometimes you're like, Oh, you think of cuddling a sight hound and you're like, Ooh, that must be like cuddling a bag of hammers. And you know, <laughs> if you catch them off guard and you go to pick them up and sit down, then at first, yes, it feels like a bag of hammers. But as soon as they settle in, they become this like just amazing weighted blanket. <laughs> right? (laughs) No longer a bag of hammers. That's Um, good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They're not as, they don't appear to me as pointy for lack of a better word as some of the other dogs that I see that a whippet, for example, is very angular, like super like sharp and pointy. I think the silky coat um, cushions some of that and makes them look a little bit different than that. Yeah. Yeah. It gives, it makes them a little bit, um, flowier looking. So Orange yeah. is my smallest at, at 20 pounds. And then Mirage is my biggest at 26 pounds. Okay. Um, okay. But so Mirage is 22 inches tall at the shoulder, whereas Aura is only 18 inches at the shoulder. So there's a okay. bit of a height difference there too. But that okay. gives you an idea for, for so- the origin of this breed, did this mm-hmm. breed start because somebody was trying to create something new? 
like how does this happen this is well, this is real and is it recognized akc breed now so we're getting into politics here okay um, yes this is where we get political this breed was started by walter wheeler in boston in the 50s who bred whippets and would swear and there is a recessive long-haired whippet gene and walter claimed that that was the gene that he had been able to pull out in whippets in his program and maybe he was unaware that one of his Sheltie studs mated with one of his whippets because if we DNA these guys then I'm really really sorry but there's Sheltie in there mm -hmm. um and there was a litter of one um silken wind sprite is what they're called on the other side of the pond over in Europe um mm -hmm. in Germany someone did a whippet Sheltie um breeding and they look so much like wind sprites. It's insane. Um, so yes, the Sheltie is in there. <laughs> I'm really sorry, Walter. Science said so. Um, so it was really, you know, what what was the draw to it is I honestly think it's just aesthetics. Yeah. It's just a nice looking coated sight hound. Right. Um, okay. Was, was the desire in it, you know, well, today, as we continue on with this breed, I, we're looking at, I mean, they're really nice companion dogs. They are, they are very, very nice companion dogs and they are primarily being bred to continue to be really nice companion dogs. And that's we one have of the a shortage of really nice companion dogs right now. I hate to say it. I mean, this is a topic that's a little bit heated and in prior podcast episodes that I've had with Kim Brophy and Trish McMillan, we've talked yep. about how a lot of the dogs, let's say you wanted to adopt a dog at a shelter and you go in there, a lot of the dogs that are in there are not necessarily those that you would want living with your young children for a variety of reasons. Either the dogs have anxious behavior, they might be um, more inclined to use their teeth on people's skin or on other dogs. Um, they might be fearful. And this is all, of course, through no fault of those dogs own. And, and I have yeah. no problem with anyone who wants to take on a project. But if yeah. you're trying to raise a family and mm -hmm. keep your sanity and have happy, safe children and have um, them have good relationships with dogs, you have to be really careful as a parent of who, what canine you decide to share your life with. And you can do it. It can be doable, but not always safely and not always with your sanity intact. And so this is particularly why I'm excited about this interview, because it seems like you're perpetuating a really nice companion, right? Yeah. <laughs> which, which is what people are looking for. They, they yeah. want, we, and especially we have a lot of people who want a smaller, but not pocket sized dog, you know? Yeah that is just really nice to live with and that they can take yep. places, but that also will sit on the couch with them. Like this seems yep. kind of too good to be true, um, but you have it. I mean, you're, you're doing it. So talk to me about your dogs and their relationship with your child. And, and like, what are some traits too, that when you're choosing to breed, you just said you may have a pregnant female right now. Like, yes. how did you choose the male, the dad, and, yeah. and what were you looking to accomplish, if that makes sense? Yeah. Um, so I have a bit of a whole process. And I don't know if you want to hear this whole process um, or, but we can kind of, we'll, we'll, we'll go, we'll, I'll 
do my best to to go through the the process as quickly as possible okay. just so Sounds that people kind of get an understanding of like all the thought that goes into this right right so in general i will have my program goals like in the back of my head i have what does the literal perfect puppy look like like the golden egg what am i chasing okay. what is my purple dragon and so then i kind of look at that and almost like a video game character or a pokemon card there's stats that i'm trying to achieve for how handler focused is this puppy how handling sensitive are they? How environmentally sensitive are they? How dog social are they? Are they puppy social? Do they like people? Do they like kids? How social mm -hmm. are they with people and kids, right? Because for me, there's a difference between, a big difference between a dog who's hyper social with people, meaning as soon as I see a person, I am now making tea kettle noises because I am so excited that a human being is existing in my space and I need them to touch me right now. Oh my God. And that would be Aura. And I love her to pieces. And she's very, what I would call hypersocial. She loves, loves people. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're a first time puppy owner and you've never had one before, then having a young puppy or an adolescent puppy, really, because that's when this behavior is going to start to shine is at that nice bright peak of 14 months and give me the keys to the car because I can drive by myself now. That really fun teenage age when I don't care what you say, because I know everything. And now they're throwing themselves at every person that exists. There are sure worse problems to have. But my preference is for a stranger sociability neutral, meaning I like people. I see them and my tail might wag. I'm so happy that they're here, but I don't need to go flying at them. If they want to say hi, I'll initiate an interaction. I will say hi with them, but I'm not flying across TJ Maxx because there's someone in the store, right? Mm -hmm. So we look right. at, here's my, my idea of a perfect puppy. And then let's look at the dam that we're planning to use and what are her stats and in what areas is she weak? So if we're looking at the example of Aura, then for Aura, I wanted a stud who, one, didn't make that squeaky noise that we heard earlier because I, is it genetic? I don't know, but I don't want to take the chance that it is, <laughs> right? I'm trying to make pet dogs, not the next American Idol. Um, <laughs> um, and then I also wanted a dog who was more neutral with strangers and not hypersocial because if I take hypersocial and I mix it with hypersocial, I am not going to guarantee that those two things are going to cancel each other out. They're probably right. not. Yeah. We're probably just going to get a bunch of hypersocial puppies, which if mm -hmm. I wanted hypersocial would be great. Um, but I, I don't. That's that's not what my program's after. So we really break down temperament of our dogs. And then that, so once, once I have my stud picked out based on, well, here's all the boys that could fit. Here's all the boys who are stranger neutral and are not barkers. Now let's look at their health. Do they carry for anything? And that knocks out these four dogs because maybe mine also carries for it, right? And then I can mm -hmm. start getting picky and looking at structure and aesthetics and other pieces of temperament that might not be top priority goals for the program, right? Um, mm -hmm. But more buried underneath. So like resource guarding is something that I don't play games with. Um, even if dogs are a normal amount of resource guarding, um, tolerance for that, like Mirage, I love her to pieces, her things are her things. So if another dog wants to take a thing from her, she's going to say, no, this is mine. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas Aura in that regard is very conflict avoidant. So another dog will come over and say, hey, give me that. And she'll go, okay, you can have it. I don't care. So mm -hmm. for Mirage, when I'm looking at studs or a, a future boyfriend, I want to go, does he ever resource guard? And I want that answer to be no. Mm -hmm. 
because again, yeah. I'm making pet dogs for yeah. families with kids. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I want to do my best to eliminate that resource guarding, whereas I might dismiss it. A normal amount of resource guarding is a normal amount of resource guarding if my program was performance dogs, but yes. it's not, it's pets. So mm-hmm. I don't want resource guarding. Um, so that's something that I want to work to eliminate, even though it's it's what I would consider to be a normal amount. It's not right. something that would stop me from getting that puppy for myself, but because I'm placing these puppies and families with children, I don't, I don't want to put it there on purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but once our, our dam and our stud or the mom and the dad are selected, then we look at those, like, those stats <laughs> of the two of them together and I go, okay, worst case scenario, right? If these don't cancel each other out like I want them to, and all of these puppies have all of both of the parents' weak points, would I still feel okay sending five people home who have never had a dog before with one of these puppies? And my answer has to be yes. Mm -hmm. And then I will go forward with breeding. But before I can like worst case scenario, Mm -hmm. would I send all of these puppies home with a family that's never had a puppy before? Mm -hmm. Would I be okay with that? With, with these, you know, quote unquote weak points that I have in whatever statistics. I love that. That is such a great summary of what a, in, in my opinion, a good breeder is going to do, right? We're going to look at health. We're going to look at temperament. We're going to look at best and worst case scenarios. I love that. To me, that is super meaningful. And I, I saw a post on Facebook this morning in a, in a breed group. Um, and somebody was complaining about the price of dogs, you know, the price of dogs these days. And, Uh um, it was really frustrating because he, he said the greedy breeders and I just laid into that person. I mean, I did it in a constructive way. And I said, do you realize the cost for health testing, genetic testing, the amount of time that it takes to adequately socialize one yet alone, an entire litter of puppies so that they're even a dog you want to add to your family at all. I said, maybe if you think this is such a terrible industry, then maybe you should not get a dog from a breeder at all. If you think they're being greedy, because most breeders that I know are not making a ton of money off of this. They're doing it because they have a passion for an outcome, Mm -hmm. right? And the outcome is either, you know, a family dog or a working dog or a sports dog or whatever it is. Yeah. And And We can, and I have no problem talking about what those expenses are for a breeder, because I know that you see a sticker and you go, oh my God, that's a lot of money. It is a lot of money um, because one, we have to pay a stud fee. So that means that the stud dog had to go through health testing prior to any breeding. And we have to give the owner of the stud dog either one puppy or whatever you would pay for a puppy. So Mm -hmm. that's one puppy out of the litter that I've now made no money on and have in fact lost money on because that pays my stud fee plus the expenses for any vaccines, any stool testing, any of that you can consider not covered by what I sold that puppy for because I didn't sell that puppy, Mm -hmm. right? We have prenatal vitamins for the dam. As soon as breeding happens, her food starts increasing only just weeks into it. She's probably not going to want to eat her food anymore. So you're going to have all those really fun food things that you got to try and convince her that she should, in fact, be putting calories in her body. (laughs) The ultrasounds during pregnancy, then you have your x-ray. You're going to have to set up your whelping room. You're going to need a space heater or heating pads or something if it's winter and it's cold. There's all the lost hours and sleep. 
the amount of times you're going to run your washing machine is <laughs> insane. <laughs> Electricity yeah. costs no one wants to talk about, but when you're running your washing machine that much, if you have an electric water heater like we do, because you have to run your wash hot because we're sanitizing it, right? I'm sanitizing. I'm not doing a cold, quick wash. This is a sanitizing cycle. Right. Same yeah. thing with the dishwasher. Do you know what kind of messes you make when you start weaning a litter? <laughs> I'm running the dishwasher like four or five times a day. So by the time these puppies go home, after all the expenses that have gone into them, no, we don't, we actually don't make any money. We would need to charge significantly more because I think breeders probably did used to make more money. I don't know. I would need to talk to them, but I think the cost of health testing went up. And the cost of puppies went up, but I think it didn't go up quite as fast as all of the other costs for expenses did. So it's it's yeah. really, I, I do this because I just really love raising puppies and I just really want to be able to give people nice puppies. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's amazing. And I think that's especially true. All of the financials that you talked about yeah. when you have a dog that tends to have smaller litter sizes compared mm -hmm. to let's say a lab that has a yeah. dozen puppies, you know, maybe that breeder makes a little bit more money because there's so many puppies, but either but, way, all the, but then more laundry, more laundry, more, more dishwasher loads, more, more bowls things. for weaning, more puppy food, more food for that dam. She's going to eat, they eat 300 to 400% of their regular intake. You are feeding four dogs where you would normally feed one for yeah. months. <laughs> well, and then all the time, if you're, if you're going to raise your puppy with yeah. either puppy culture or Avidog or something else mm -hmm. where you are literally working with every single puppy, yeah. gosh, if you have a I litter with 12 puppies, too much. no, you, you can't, no, you couldn't. I, did not. I couldn't. So then there's that loss of income as well, Correct. because you're not working because you have to be home taking care of your new zoo. Exactly. Oof, that's a lot. All right. Well, let's talk about some of the behavior traits. It's worth it. Oh, yeah. Well, it is worth it if if it's what your passion is, right? But yeah. it does show that like the gratitude of the people who receive these puppies yeah. should represent the effort like, you put in, right? And I'm I'm saying for for people who look at the price of a puppy from a breeder and go, oh God, that's a big number. That's why because mm -hmm. that breeder did all the laundry and all of the dishes and got the damn 500 different brands of dog food to try and see which one she wanted to eat during pregnancy. And that's, 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 it's very much like a get what you pay for kind of scenario. And I'm not saying right. that every person that charges $6,000 for a puppy is if you're able to sell your puppies for that much and make a living on selling puppies, then please, Email me because what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> well, and let's make sure it's ethical. raising just puppies, right? Well, and and oh. let's just say, you know, since we're since we're here and we're talking about this, we do yeah. have to put in the caveat and the warning label and all the things that yeah. you have to be sure you're actually getting what you're paying for, right? Exactly. So that you could yep. have somebody Correct. like a puppy mill who. Uh -huh has the savvy to put together a really pretty website with photos that aren't actually theirs and they lie and they tell you they're doing all the things and yeah. then they ship you the puppy in the mail and you and do not get what what they said right, right? or the puppy is sick or whatever yeah. so i just have to say like this is why mm -hmm. you know talking to you for example if i were thinking about getting a windsprite i would be 
have zooming with you. I would be watching yeah. your dogs. I would be literally seeing what you're doing as yeah. opposed to just taking your word for it. Right. And I know that not everybody has the privilege of being able to do that, but I, whatever it is that you can do to try to get to know, even if it's scouring their Facebook feed of like right. random yeah. videos from a year ago, um, to look at the dog's behavior or anything else. This is what anything we want to, to tell you where puppies are raised. I, it is going to be an immediate red flag to me. If I reach out to a breeder and say, can you just send me a picture of where your puppies are raised? Like I, I just mm -hmm. want a picture of their, where puppies are raised. I'm going to be suspicious if they only have one. Cause if you ask me, Hey, do you have a picture of where your puppies are raised? I'll be like, Oh yeah, here's a webpage from my website where there's like, I think about 30 of them. But if you want more, here's this Google photos album. There's like 2000 pictures from my last litter. Sorry. Right. <laughs> right. But if they only yeah. have one, that's concerning um, to mm -hmm. me. Also, they should really want to talk to you. I love talking to puppy people. I don't do it every day. I do a lot of talking to everyone as litters are getting closer and as I'm getting ready. But when I'm looking for studs and planning that, you know, I'm not doing a lot of Zoom meetings, but they should want to talk to you and answer your right. questions before. Well, and you're you just as invested though, right? Like as a breeder, oh, yeah. you deeply care about the home that your babies home. are going to, yeah. right? So you need those babies to go home. I think, you know, I um, have talked to breeders before and um, a lot of breeders say that the reason they eventually get out of breeding is because it's so draining trying to find the right matches with the puppy families. And then the self-doubt of, just the little inklings of fear that come in of what if and what if and my babies and are they going to be okay and it's just a lot of stress and if something happens a good breeder will take the dog back and so then there's always this fear of like with covid maybe they're unable to keep the dog and it's just everything is in flux that once the puppy is out your door you're not done necessarily. oh no i talk to these people every day <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. You're not yeah. done. Um, yeah. No, puppies leave. And then um, some breeders. So I, um, I was here on this podcast here uh, last time with Connor talking about Super Pup Academy. So all my puppy people get a seat in Super Puppies. So they go from one into the other. Um, and so I have them there for another, you know, I'm just not ready to let go yet. Um, I want to well, see my good. babies for another six weeks, make it through puppy class, which isn't a requirement. I don't require that you do it, yeah. but you know. But it's a great resource. You will, Everybody wants a good start for their and puppy. Who doesn't want to do it, right? Right. Um, but I really take time to get to know my families, one, because I do want to be able to place a puppy with them, um, the right puppy with them. Mm -hmm. I don't want to just, well, I think it's this one. I want to go, no, yeah, that's the one. I, I was right. really happy with how I felt placing my last litter because it was like everything. I got to know everyone so well, especially because it was pandemic. So we really didn't have anything better to do. We would all be on Zoom together, just mm -hmm. talking to Aura and about puppies because we were all socially deprived. But it was it was actually really nice. And we, um, you know, we'll all go camping together. So I still get to see all the puppies from that litter, which is fantastic. Um, so nice. But... The more I get to know families, the more I get to know some things that pop out. Like I had um, one came to, to visit and um, their youngest is trying to pick up puppies and cuddle with them. And they're, 
at this point, six weeks old. So they are land sharks and they are choppy and bitey. But I had one in this litter who was really cuddly. And, you know, the child made their way over to that one and picked up that puppy and went, oh. And in the back of my head, I was like, yeah, I was thinking about that one for you because he really loves to cuddle. <laughs> That's so right? cute. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it's those little things where they never said that they really wanted specifically a cuddle bug that was not on their list of things, but it was something that I picked up on in mm -hmm. talking to them and getting to know them. And it mm -hmm. became one of the things that they appreciated the most about their puppy um, was how cuddly he is. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's those things that you can't like without interacting with people, then you don't, you don't get to learn about all of those things, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's so good and so perceptive of you. And it, it pays dividends at the end because then you have a happy puppy, a well-placed puppy and really happy clients because mm -hmm. they got the puppy of their dreams. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. means it's a really good fit. Can yeah. you talk to me? I, I want to try to not talk forever because you and I could easily, and I want to respect easily. everyone's time, but I want to just dive in a teeny bit to one more thing, which is yeah. Dexter's relationship to your oh, yes. dogs and yeah. vice versa. And yeah. how, so this is a little bit of a tricky question because you're a dog professional, right? So mm -hmm. you already come with advantages over regular pet parents, right? Who, who yeah. don't maybe have the, the level of experience or exposure to dogs as you do. So this is a little bit different, but how would you advise families to interact together um, so that they can build a nice and safe trusting relationship between their kids and their dogs. Um, because Dexter has a beautiful relationship with your dogs and vice versa. And yeah. it's really nice to watch. However, if I were to just see a single picture of Dexter in the bathtub with a dog, which I have seen, um, but I didn't difference. know who you were and I didn't know about the dogs and their past experiences or Dexter and his, yeah. his training as a young dog yeah. person, um, yeah. I would be like, oh my gosh, that could be dangerous, right? So give you a heart attack, yeah. So can you just talk to me? It, it's not a specific question because I don't really know yeah. how to say it, but I know that you know what I mean. Like, how do we... I can definitely talk to you yeah. about my kid and my dogs. Okay. <laughs> good, good, good. Okay, no. I'm sorry. You want me to talk about my child and my dogs? I, I know. It's this. like the best thing ever. What? <laughs> I know. Um, so I, they do have a very special relationship. Um, I will say, I think part of what really helps just in terms of the relationship between Dexter and all of the dogs is one, how old everyone was, um, kind of when they were introduced. So Dexter was a baby. Wally was six months old when Dexter was born. So Wally was still kind of a puppy and impressionable. And then he was two when we got Mirage. And so he was right in like chaotic toddler stage and we were right in the middle of moving. So we were like, you know what? Here, have a puppy. You guys can just go be chaotic together. We got this nice new yard. I'll be in here unpacking. <laughs> I did not send them outside alone together. Um, no, <laughs> um, but so one, careful interactions when they're first setting the foundations for their relationship. So 
I'm more observant as the two of them are getting to know each other, especially with how young Dexter was at the time. Two-year-olds are so different from day to day, as any parent knows. Like, you don't know which version of your kid you get when they wake up in the morning, right? Like, is this growth spurt over yet? Because I'm done with it. Are you done with it? And that can be really confusing for dogs. So to know what days, like, there would be days where in those, like, right at the peak of three where it's like, oh gosh, when Dexter would wake up and I'd be like, you know what? You're a lot for me. I'd be like, Hey dogs, who wants to have a bone downstairs? Cause the kid's kind of crazy today. (laughs) Right. But that's Mm -hmm. where that off switch comes in really nice. Cause they were all like, wow, what a great idea. Yeah. We love fresh laundered beds, throw some blankets in the dryer for 20 minutes, throw them on top of those dog beds. And my dogs are like, what did we ever do to deserve these amazing beds? (laughs) with these amazing chews in this lovely quiet room, right? Um, Yeah. (laughs) So it's one, it's knowing your dog and at what level that your child gets too chaotic, where it's like, okay, my dog's going to need a break. And then removing your dog before they need that break. Like it's okay Mm -hmm. to go, well, my kid's being crazy right now. So I'm going to move my dog. But then also to know what games your child can do with your dog or what things they can do that are safe. So like one of Wally's favorite, favorite things in the world when Dexter was little was um, to hand touch his, his hand when he was trying to eat. And then, you know, Dexter would just be throwing cereal at him. Mm -hmm. He was not at all trying to, he's two and a half. He is not Mm -hmm. timing his cereal throwing as reinforcement. My dog is begging and half stealing food, but I let it happen um, because it's relationship building and because they were both having fun and mm-hmm. because it was safe, right? And you knew it was safe though. That's I really important. You you had no like, resource guarding going on. So obviously does this not resource guard. Right. Exactly. My child is strapped into a chair. So mm-hmm. he's not going to get off the couch and chase the dog down to get the Cheerio back. Exactly. The child is right. up and the dog is down. So we're not face to face. And really Dexter's just sitting in the high chair looking at me and he's laughing. And it's one of those things where the instinct is to tell the dog, no, get down. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, no, these aren't your Cheerios. Get down. But he goes to jump up. The kid goes, ha, ha, ha. You're so funny. And throws a Cheerio. And the dog's like, oh, oh my God, I love this kid. (laughs) And I was like, all right, you know what? You two can go for it. You can have this game. This can be your game. It can be. And he he ate his Cheerio. He came back. You know, Dexter's hand just hung off of the sides of the high chair because that's how he ate when he had the high chair. So Wally offered a nose touch. And, you know, two and a half year old looks over and goes, oh, the dog's back and threw another Cheerio. Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of became this game. It was safe. And they were having a great time. And they still did it when we moved into our new house. And then Wally sat in a chair next to him and I put a bib on the dog. But do you know what? (laughs) We all dealt with quarantine our own ways <laughs> yes no for sure yeah no I like that um, you but said it's, that it's, though it's things like that mm-hmm. where it's like this like do do I want dogs trying to get food off of high chairs from kids no but he's not attempting to actively steal it it's more of like a, hey I'm down here do you want to share with me right um and it was relationship building for them other safe games that that you know he'd be doing is I'm kind of getting to know the two of them, because it, it, you know, at that point, Wally wasn't even behaviorally mature yet. And Dexter's still going through a ton of changes. Now that he's six, he gets way more leeway with them. Um, 
but they, you know, he'll go to their cookie jar and grab cookies and like walk around and drop cookies behind him. And I don't have dogs who resource guards, so I can leave that treat jar out. Mm -hmm. And he has a limit to how many times he can do that so that my dogs aren't sausages. Not that they Mm -hmm. would be because they stop eating once they're full anyway, um, which I think is a Winsprite perk. uh, Definitely. They would totally, if you pulled out higher value food, they would keep going right? It can be a pain in the butt if you want to train with just kibble. But you know, if you're like me, and you totally meant to empty the rest of that 40 pound bag of kibble into your um, plastic bin before you went to bed last night, but you forgot, um, then it's handy to have dogs who don't knock the bag over and eat the rest. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah, walking around and, and dropping kibbles kind of as he goes, but just those little games that they can do together, and allowing my dogs in ways that are appropriate to tell him when to say no, Mm -hmm. when I've already tried. Right. So if I've said, no, the dog doesn't like that, please stop. No, the dog doesn't like that, please stop. And I know my dogs. I know that if my dog is going to to snap at my child, that it's going to be in the air and it's not going to hurt anybody. Right. It's going to be in the generic zone of, and I know that he's going to listen. And Mm -hmm. when they say, no, I don't like this, he knows that that means that he needs to stop. And he can also tell you what a yawn means or what a dog looking away from you means. But because I know that my dogs have that inhibition and because my dogs are safe, it's what I would consider to be child safe, meaning they Mm -hmm. have good inhibition. And when they get to a point that they feel like they need to use their mouth to send a message, they don't do any physical damage. Nor do they make contact with skin. It is just a mouth flying, but it allows me to allow them to have all the social interactions that they do. Because if my dogs, when they got to a point of saying, no, I don't love that, if they were doing damage, then they would not be in the tub with him. Yeah. Right. (laughs) You know, I I just want to intervene real quick. So this is really interesting. So what you're saying is kind of what a lot of grandparents will say let them work it out. Right. (laughs) Because a lot of my families, a lot of my clients will get really frustrated because they, they know their dog better than their parents do. Right. Mm -hmm. So my, I have a client right now and she is a doctor and her parents are kind of questioning why she's on high alert. Mm -hmm. And she has every right to be on high alert with this particular yep. dog. I would not consider him to be child safe the same way that you're, that Wally was, right? right? And yet her parents are kind of like, I don't see what you're worried about. They should just work it out. But the problem is, is that not all dogs are going to have that level of inhibition or, um, or be safe enough that the warning is actually a warning and is not right. a bite. So I do think that what you're describing is like the unicorn, right? That is, that is what you have created. You have created this though. And you have the level of knowledge that you can safely interpret the scenario. You can intervene when necessary, but a lot of people like just sort of the regular normal people out there sometimes need to prevent certain things from happening because there is no, it's like zero to 60 in, in a second, yeah. as opposed to your dogs are like slowly ramping up and, and they communicate what they need when they need yeah. it. Right. So there, there's this huge range of dog behavior, child behavior, parent risk 
tolerance also, right? Risk and assessment, essentially. Exactly. And like we do it at the playground all the time when our kids go to try something new. Like when they go to climb that structure that you've been helping them with for the longest time and you really got to sit there and you got to watch and you got to go, okay, if you fall, how bad is it going to hurt? And am I going to need to drive you to the hospital? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, can I let you fall? Can I Mm -hmm. let you learn about gravity? Is today the day that you learn about gravity? And I had to do that risk assessment with my child and my dogs. And for me, the risk assessment is different um, because of the dogs that I have. Right. I have had these dogs since they were babies. Um, I know them like the back of my hand. Dogs are my work. So I spend all day staring at and talking to them. Let's get real. Um, (laughs) I narrate for them sometimes too. Me too. Just in case if you were wondering. Um, But I wouldn't have that same luxury with a different dog, or I would need to wait for my child to be a lot older before the risk assessment would make sense. Right. Like, it is calculating that risk and, and you're um, kind of going back to, oh, well, you know, just kind of let them work it out. Um, in a sense, eventually, yes, I, I did. But also before that happened, I armed my dogs with an incredible toolbox of how to move away. So they know how to leave if they don't like it. Um, that's not a thing that a lot of dogs are taught. We're actually really good at rewarding dogs in one specific spot all the time, like a station, which is not always helpful. I think they also need to learn how to go. Like, mm-hmm. if you don't like it, leave. That's mm-hmm. goodbye. You are not trapped yeah. on the couch by a six-year-old. You can get up and leave. I do it all the time. Highly recommend yeah. it, right? Yes. Like, your kid's poking in your ear and you don't like it anymore. So you just get up and go somewhere else because- Today's not the day that I want to argue with my three-year-old over why it's not nice to lick your finger and shove it in someone's ear. And we have to teach our dogs those same skills, right? Yes. (laughs) I understand that it's not nice when the kid licks their finger and shoves it in your ear, but we need to just move away when those things happen. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want kids sticking their fingers in dog ears. That's generally what we do consider rude behavior in this house. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, everywhere. I agree. It is a thing that could happen. And so it's kind of one of those things that how, how is my dog going to react? And is there anything that I need to teach my dog? Does my dog need to learn a way how I want them to react? Does my dog need to learn how to move away? Does my dog know how to move away? Because it's not a thing that, that all dogs kind of have this awareness that like, oh, if I don't like it, I can leave. Right? I agree. Yep. I, it's really, really hard, especially for dogs who want to be stuck to you. Yes. Because then they enter this land of the internal conflict of like, oh God, I really want my mom because I feel safe with my mom. But why is that kid still here? Right? Because mm-hmm. with you, I feel safe. But then of course, so does your child. So then you're in this icky place. And so that that like, no, you can you can really exist as just the dog over there on your bed because it's not your turn right now. I'm really sorry. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Is, is actually a really important skill. Yes. Um, one of the things that when I do have clients come to me or when I have people, because I, I, I breed, but also I do behavior consulting. And so I kind of have like, you know, I'm on the behavior side of things and the, <laughs> the breeding side of things. Um, so I don't obsess over breeding plans or puppy raising at all, ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Um, well, but yeah, yeah. so it's, it's. You know, it's, I'm going to say that it's one of those things where, hey, it's not your turn right now is a thing that when I have someone who comes to me and is like, hey, you know, we really want to start a family next year, but we want to get a puppy now. Is that a good idea? Is it a bad idea? I'm like, I don't care. You can get a 
puppy now before you bring baby home you could have your baby and then bring your puppy home i whatever sounds great for you and your family sounds great for me and i'll help you prepare for it but the one thing that i want every dog who lives with a kid to learn is how to move <laughs> yeah if you, if you don't like it leave i think that's a really good skill i i hear a lot of my clients resist the dog being quote sent away yeah. um to, because they feel that we're saying that the dog can't be part of things and that we're, right. you know, you're off an exile dog while I focus on the kids. And then there's a lot of guilt around that, but yeah. that's not at all what you have mentioned many yeah. times where you talked about the dog downstairs with a bone or the dog off on the bed. You're not saying the dog's not part of the family, right? Oh. You're saying there are times when everybody needs a break. And yeah. this is actually one of the best ways of love that I can show you is to give uh -huh. you that break so that you can be your best self later when like, you're back. I us. wish that I could hang out down here with you guys with a pint of ice cream and a warm blanket, but I can't leave him unsupervised upstairs. So you guys can hang out down here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, let's, Kids are a lot sometimes, yes. and it yes. is 5,000% okay on those days to look at your dog and go, you know what? I can foresee the future. I know <laughs> where this is going to go, and you are not going to like it. Yeah. Well, and we wish we could get a break sometimes, but we can't exactly. take it as the parent. So let's give our dogs the break we wish we could have. Exactly. Because... That's one it, thing we can control. It gives you a break too, because then you don't need to worry about it anymore. Yeah, like, and that's another valid reason for putting your dog away. If you're tired and you don't want to do it right now, you are allowed to say, here, dog, here is this really yummy thing that you can have in another room. And I don't need to worry about any interactions between you and this child for the next, you know, X amount of time. I know that you, we, we feel really guilty about that sometimes. If you feel extra guilty about it and you find yourself doing it frequently or, and by frequently, I mean more than once a day, then maybe you want to talk to like a friend or something mm -hmm. just about, you know, the, the general stress levels that, that are happening in parenting and day to day. I was there. Um, mm -hmm. I get it, but it's, it's, you're allowed, you're allowed to say, wow, this is a lot. You can't put your, I mean, you could go put your child in a crib with a Kong, but that's really frowned upon. You can put your dog in another room with a Kong. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's not frowned upon. No, no, My I agree. I put himself in a crate with a Kong, but that's another story. Um, nor do we um, really want kids getting into the dog crates. <laughs> no, I agree. No, we no. do not want kids in the dog crates. No, yeah, this is good. Well, I feel like we should wrap up so that yes. we uh, end on a related note and don't go off on a tangent because I know that you and I can do that and we have done it before. Um, this was so interesting. I love knowing more about your breed and the thoughtfulness that goes into creating these family dogs and also just the reality of what it's like to parent kids and dogs at the same time and why this dog fits so beautifully into that picture. Right. They really do. Can and they love tell to us they're like so mm -hmm. goofy, which is one of the things that I love the most about them is like my 
my husband is not by nature a dog person, which I'm sure like a lot of listeners, I, you know, the, the other half of, of parenting, if you have another half of parenting, um, is not always on the same page with things that you should be doing with your dogs. Um, but my husband thinks it's really funny to like come barging out of his office with this like bone skull wand thing that he made screaming fireball because I don't know. <laughs> Quarantine was hard and some of us needed to 3D print skull bone. I have no idea. Don't ask. I some some whatever. It's a spouse thing. It makes him happy. But he runs yeah. out screaming. I guess the dogs all riled up and they are all barking. Like their Sheltie is showing. And this is a situation where they will be barking because exciting things are happening. We are having a party and now we are yelling and then the kid will start screaming. One of my four without fail, it will be one of the three adults, either Wally or or Mirage will go, this is a lot. And we'll leave and go downstairs. There it is mm -hmm. that if you don't like it, leave at least one of the adults on that day. And it's different every time because it depends on how everything else has been going because they are individuals. And I love how it kind of shines in that moment where they'll like one dog will go, this is too much for me right now as an individual, I'm out. And they'll go downstairs and settle in a crate. And that's a great answer. And then mm -hmm. everyone else will party upstairs and they will run around and they will scream and they are wrestling and having a great time. And that's not what we think of when we think of sight hounds. We think of like, it gets loud and they, they kind of go, and you know, they kind of disappear <laughs> into the corner and they like shrivel and shiver. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like a sad raisin. <laughs> <laughs> these dogs have more resilience than that they, for they, sure. have a, they have more resilience yeah um but it's yeah they're 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 a lot of fun they're they're a ton of personality they're a lot of fun and they do fit fit really really well um with my kids and that with my kid and his friends who who come and visit but that being said then there are within every breed of course anything that you're looking into there's going to be differences so do make right. sure that if you do have kids at home and you're looking to get a puppy then look at other dogs that that breeder has produced if you can like if they have a facebook group or pictures of people that puppies go home with make sure mm -hmm. puppies have gone to kids um mm, good idea they go frequently um because if yeah. you're like the first person, I mean, it's it's not incredibly going to happen. But if you're looking through all of these pictures and it's all puppies going off to people who do not have kids and then maybe we do some social media stalking and they're all like running agility or doing sports. And then we start to go, oh, are these performance dogs? Because you don't you don't want that drive in a family pet, which is, you know, another inch because I, I do compete in agility. Mm -hmm. There's those are Wally's mm -hmm. ribbons. I right? see the ribbons. Yes, yeah. Wally. <laughs> so you can have a companion dog also compete successfully in sports without being a performance purpose bred dog. That's a whole nother rabbit hole. I'm not going to go down right now because you said we're going to wrap this up. Not yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Come back to me. Come back to me, Marie. <laughs> Take it down a notch. No, I, I love this. No, I do yeah. like that because a lot of us, you know, have other things that we do with our dogs aside from yeah. just sitting at home, right? You know, I do therapy work with Pippin at the hospital, but we also love to go hiking. But yeah. I also just sometimes need a dog who's going to hang out around the house while I cook because I love to be in the kitchen and all those yeah. kinds of things. We need a dog that fits with the kind of life Correct. that we have. You have um, a Facebook page 
and resources where people can learn more about your breed. And I'm assuming see a plethora of pictures, especially if we have a pregnancy of our growing mommy and then you're going to baby spam us, right? I'm assuming if we have babies. Assuming we have babies, there's going to be so much baby spamming. Okay. So where can people go to get puppy puppy spam and reach out to you? The the majority of puppy spamming happens on Instagram and Facebook stories. Um, So on Facebook, it's um, uh, Apsara Windsprites. If you're looking for us on Instagram, it's Sprites of Apsara, but we'll link both of those. Okay. Um, or com is the... Okay, good. I'll put that in the show notes. Plethora of photos there too. Good. Well, (laughs) good. Well, if any of our listeners are thinking about... Um, their ideal family dog and if um, what Murray is producing and um, putting so much attention into sounds like a good fit for you then please reach out to her and um, and enjoy the puppy spam because I know I'm going to I cannot wait for this puppy like these these puppies what would the estimated due date be if this is a real pregnancy um a week before Aura's litter was born last year Oh my gosh. I know my girls are synced. Oh, so the timing all like, which is actually really nice. Cause this is the perfect time to be having a litter because for like the first two months when they don't do too much, like they do stuff, but we're not going outside yet. So it can still be cold for a little bit. And then when you need them bit. to burn then, off yeah. energy, the weather will be better. Okay. So what's about the date about the month or so? March 7th, 10th. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to be Facebook stalking you as usual. So my fingers and toes are all crossed and, and on toes. your behalf. Fingers, all of them. Toes, and I nose. can cross all my toes. I can cross my pinky toes too. So I'm going to cross all of them. Okay. You go. Okay, I'm not, I can't cross my pinky toes. I can cross my pinky fingers. Okay. Well, we'll cross all of them. You're and all crossed, Yep. They're all, all crossed. They're, they're napping now. They're I have done nothing. We did nothing yesterday. It was snowing. <laughs> Or the day no, before. They're good. This is guys. what makes them good family this dogs. They can just hang so out. They can. Oh, good dogs. All right, Mirage, go make some babies. And I yeah. will talk to you soon, Miss Marie. Mwah. Thank Bye you for myself. the time Thank today. You so much. If you enjoy the Pooch Parenting Podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Also, don't miss www.safekidsanddogs.com if you are a parent with dogs and could use a little extra support. I would be happy to be on your team. Take care.